Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's winter time. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Guys, today I have Coach Mains. I hope I said that right because I'm an idiot. Um, defensive coordinator at SFCA in Florida. Now, I know it's an acronym for a high school, but I just wanted to say the, the, the little thing there. Um, yes, but thanks for yes, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, I loan a little podcast here. We just literally just talked. He's been on so many, and this one's going to be right off the cuff. We're going to go just talk ball. Hopefully, it'll all be good. Um, I love it. Some people might know you for your is it it's your tight three four defense. Um your rise to fame was probably Coach Mackey's show. That's your your rise to fame. That you've made it when you're on Coach Mackey's show. <laughs> um we were just talking, so I, I'm kinda interested. So we were talking about COVID and how Illinois worked. For you guys, did you have a normal season in Florida? Was like everything pretty normal? Yeah, so um, I got the job 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last 2019, we were planning for, I mean, it was almost like right as COVID hit and what we shut down and it was February or March or something like that. So we were planning gearing up for a spring. We had coaches meetings. We had a bunch of new staff members when I came on. So we were all excited. And then, you know, boom, COVID came down. So we were out completely. No spring, no summer off season where typically we're doing seven on seven stuff and we're doing camps and we're doing all sorts of things, sending kids out to college camps or meeting together as a staff and crunching down again. All of that was completely out the window. Um, and that was as a, as a first year coordinator that still had to install his defense. So no spring, no summer. Um, and then when the Florida High School Athletic Association came together, um, I coach at a private school, a small two-way private school. So we don't necessarily have to go by what the Florida High School Athletic Association goes by. So we started school, I think, a week or two earlier than the rest of the public schools. Um, but we still play in the Florida High School Athletic Association playoffs. So we still have to kind of fall in line with them, at, at least football. Other sports are different, like basketball, they're in a a, a private league and things like that. So different sports do different things. But as far as football goes, we try to follow the state as much as possible. So they pretty much just had a meeting and then boom, gave us a date. That date was like two weeks after their meeting. So we didn't have like a, a legit fall camp or anything like that. We kind of meshed fall camp and game prep together. There was no preseason game. Typically we get a jam for, you know, a preseason game to kind of get tuned up. No, we were getting an in-conference opponent that was, you know, that's 10 miles away. That's almost like a rival school week one. Um, so it, it was a lot of game prep as well as trying to install a brand new defense and a defense that, you know, just kind of looking at it top down. It's not super, super simple. Um, you know, the when I got the job, the only kind of thing that my head coach said was, you know, we ran a 3-4. I want to stick with a 3-4. I think it fits our personnel. Here's kind of our playbook, what we had last year. Um, and it was, you know, kind of it was a quarter based. And you know, a lot of times they would end up in over and they played some OP, some double fours, double fives, and slammed a little bit more. Which is typical for most high school three fours. I think I think when you think three four in high school, um, a lot of times it's you know the slant angle stuff. So really just had two weeks to try to install as much as we can, but we were installing stuff all the way from week one to like playoff game, week 11, 12, we were still putting in new things. And that's not how I typically like to work. That was just kind of the nature of the beast. We were doing opponent scout, and then all of a sudden, you know, I would have to look at my overall playbook and say, oh, well, we need this tool this week. So we're going to have to install this on Sunday and Monday. Um, talk about it as a staff, try to install it on Monday and try to work through the the, the technical aspects of it during the week and individual and group and then, you know, kind of push mother on Friday. So the COVID definitely affected us, not just early on, but all the way throughout the season. It kind of had us hampered. And then um, we were supposed to play a, a Week 10 game and we were still getting games canceled because of COVID. So everything was kind of different. We're back to schedule to where 
we had a full spring season. We had 20 practices, so we got all 20 practices. We get to play a game. We played a varsity game. Only gave up 14 points, which is like the least amount of points that we've given up. I think it's in five or six years. So everything's kind of looking up. Typically around 25 kids. We're actually right around 38 to 40 kids right now. We might even have 45 or 50 for fall, which would be the biggest team we've ever had in program history. So you know everything's kind of looking up right now. Um. I was kind of in the same boat. Uh, I was out of high school. The coach offered me the run game coordinator spot um, April or May of 2020. And I took it like an idiot because the like, COVID can't last this long. It's not going to go on. And here we are. Like I just told you, Illinois, we're, we're supposed to be fully reopened Friday, but it's gone on this long. Um, so I was, we were in a same boat. We had a new head coach. He was putting in his, he does, we do four, two, five. So he was trying to install that. We were trying to install our, offense you had this o-line run game coordinator coming and changing everything up like it it was a mess like you said we we only got six games we usually get nine but we only had six and we only had a week and a half before the first game like we like you said we were slowly putting things in as the weeks went on um so i don't know if you ran into this for me as the o-line coach i kind of got away from technique sometime because i would panic about scheme so like from an offense perspective man they've got to understand inside zone they got to understand power they have to understand trap so i would panic and sacrifice technique to be like no you have to know the overall scheme did, did you find yourself doing that or was that just me panicking because we're in illinois and not in florida and have little different things going on no no absolutely especially as a kind of a first year guy i was kind of overwhelmed and we don't have a we only have you know five staff members and even for i'm um, having 30 or 35 kids and sometimes you feel like you're outnumbered so trying to do that with a small staff having a bunch of kids go both ways so we you know our defensive line would have to know offensive line so they'd have to know how to play you know react attack and tight and they also have to flip over and know how to run inside zone and and power so yeah definitely last year we were still installing scheme stuff um kind of a little bit more than tendency stuff we try to stay away from a lot of the post snap stuff so a lot of things that we do we start in time will end up in under or over post snap Whereas, you know, last year was more like, okay, let's install tight. Let's all install under and over static fronts, and we'll just run those fronts. And we'll just, you know, we'll just come out in, front, in, in, it, in the game instead of, you know, trying to get to it post-snap and things like that. So we had to do a little bit of a workaround. But the good thing was we returned 10 on defense. So I'm kind of glad we actually, you know, installed almost the whole defense last year. Um, that way they were still kind of fresh in the kids' minds. You know, we got the spring, and they still remembered most of the calls. And then we were really, really able to – know install everything up front really fast and really slow it down for the kids you know a ton of any time and slow down some of the techniques for all of our stuff so yeah the last this last season like you said it was just almost like this last season it seemed like we got to put in big picture stuff and then now especially well for illinois our last game was in april and now we're right back so it's so fresh that we can finally technique it like okay remember when we like for you guys remember when we were doing this coverage well now here's more technique stuff like breaking it down remember this so I feel like for a lot of guys, especially first-year guys doing something, it's just going to soar in the fall. Like, yeah. I just – all these teams are going to get so much better. And uh, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that sacrificed some of it. Like, for me, I just panicked. Like, because I don't want to get fired. I'm like, I'm going to get fired. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm panicking. I got to do this. I got to yeah. do that. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Especially because, like, you, in the back of your mind, you want to put your kids in the best position to be possible. And you know that as a coordinator, as a coach, like what matches up with what, 
that you don't necessarily, at least last year, you didn't necessarily have the time. You know, you had to weigh, this is the best scheme, but is it the scheme that my kids can run with a limited amount of time on a really weird year? You know, you had to do that almost for each individual call and technique, you know, have to, have to measure them up um, and then decide whether to throw it out or if you really needed it, you put it in. Um, I'm more of a put it in guy and then trying to trust my coaches that they'll be able to coach them up and trust my kids that they're able to do it. But now, I mean, we're in day one and two of spring and they're, my kids are like begging me for, you know, pre-stop movement, post-stop movement. They're begging me for different kind of coverages and one that and all sorts of things, which is, which is nice because they're used to running a lot now um, and they're like hungry for more. So I, I love it. Um, did you find yourself, because I know you're a first-year defense coordinator, but you've had other experience. For us, we almost, when I panicked and started to do scheme, once we started to get through it, we almost found ourselves getting more simple, like of how we were teaching things. Did you find yourself becoming more simple? Like, oh, I found a simpler way to install this just because of how quickly it had to be done. Like, for offensive purposes, we were like, oh, my gosh, like about week two or three, we were like, let's do this this way. It's a lot easier. So we found ourselves becoming more simple. Did you find yourself yeah. doing the same thing? Yeah, and you try, and a lot of it was like, during staff meetings and think of it, thinking of the, the technique or the concept like out of practice, like how can I, I think it made you a better coach, honestly. I think uh, you come out of COVID and it really sucked, but I think it probably made a lot of guys better coaches because now you're really hammering down on all your techniques. You know, what's the best coaching cue for this technique? How can I teach this in a limited amount of time to where I can install a new scheme or a new concept while also game prep? Um, and give them different looks and the technique. So you kind of have to all to weigh all of that. But absolutely, there's some things, um, there's some things that we're really expensive on. So our base stuff, you know, we feel like we can put our base into really almost any offense and end up pretty good. And then we can all have all the bells and whistles and the other stuff. You know, we get into a bunch of different fronts and a bunch of different coverages outside of quarters. Um, but we're still, we were still very technical and very expensive with our base stuff. So tight quarters, you know, we wanted all the bells and whistles in three quarters. But when it came to all the other stuff, the different personnel packages and all that, all that good jazz, you know, that's where we really tried to simplify things was on the outside stuff. So for younger coaches, and maybe you can educate me, how'd you come up with or find the 3-4 but tight 3-4? So for young coaches, when they hear tight 3-4, what does that mean to them? Like, how are they like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Yeah, I think if you were to ask older coaches and – you know, your coaches, they would have completely different responses when you talk about when you mentioned the 3 4. Like, you talk to an old coach about the 3 4, and they're probably going to think Wade Phillips and two gap or slant angle. Um, whereas a lot of the younger guys, you know, the guys that they're not having to go against more two back, more three back, you know, wing T, flex bone, old school offenses. Now, you know, everything, the range has been spread. It's been spread for years, ever since, you know, Chip Kelly and Oregon kind of caught it on fire. And it's been, you know, Ohio State and Oklahoma and all the the Big 12 team. So, you know, the, the hot topic is spread and the hot topic on defense now is the tight. So when I was told I had to run a 3-4, that's immediately where my, my mind went to was a rant that, you know, he had just won his national championship at LSU. I'm a Buckeye. You know, I went and played college football uh, in Columbus at Capital University right down the street from Ohio State. So, you know, I watch all the Ohio State games and I have been watching Aranda since when he was at Wisconsin from 2013. I think it was 2015. So I kind of already knew how good he was defensively because he was doing it with, you know, Wisconsin kids aren't like Alabama or Georgia uh, or Ohio State kids. So he was doing it. He was really successful there. Those teams are always really good. And then he transferred it straight to LSU, ran the same system, did a lot of the same things. Well, of course, there was a lot of 
changes that you made when you went to LSU, but you did it with completely different athletes. So um, the ability to you know play against more two-back, more downhill rushing attacks at the Big Ten, and then flip over and play Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State teams that like to spread the ball around. They have a ton of different athletes over there, all the speed in the world, and he's still able to run his stuff. You know, that's immediately where my mind went to was you know the tight three-four. Especially Dylan, when I when I got the job and I started watching the film from the year before I was there, they had given up 49 points per game, and it really came down to you know spread teams, but they weren't throwing the ball. They were spread to run teams, and they were just they were just running out the beat gap bubbles. They were whether we lined up an under or over, they were finding where the three tech was getting set to, and they run to the beat gap bubble. Whether that was you know inside zone was the big one, ISO, QB power, things like that, um, inside trap. You know all those things. So to me, initially, I was just like, "Well, starting out, we just have to take away everyone's plan A, which is find the bubble, run the ball to the bubble, which you know naturally went to the tight." So, but if you're going to play tight, you know, there's a lot of different creases. You know, off tackle, all that jazz, off tackle gap scheme that you have to get into different parts of the playbook. So I knew tight, but I didn't quite know in the beginning how I ran the problem solved later on with all the the rest of his stuff. Yeah, I just. I'm friends with um, Nick Davis. He's the DC at Rose Holman. I've known him for a couple of years. I just had, he's been on here twice. And I, I find it real funny. Everybody's going to an odd man front defense. Like for us, I saw it five out of the six times. There was one team who ran a four, two, five. So I asked him, I said, the persona of a three, four, a three, five used to be one of two things. You had no talent. So you hit it with that. <laughs> or you had to have the, 310 pound nose guard and i asked him i said why are people going to this if they don't have that and he's he's told me that you can use speed nowadays so that nose guard can be 180 pounds or 200 pounds but you're slanting you're aiming for the shoulder instead of two gap and you know he grabbed you're aiming for a shoulder you're moving guys around and this this and that did you find the same thing because i'm asking everybody that's running i just had a defensive coordinator on right before you two hours ago like I'm asking him the same thing, and he runs an odd man front. I'm like, why? Like, do you find speed works? Do you need big guys? Like, do you think speed disrupts an offensive line more than it used to? Like, is that why you guys are all making me mad with these four eyes and all this and that? And Yeah, so a couple different reasons. You know, it's a lot easier for an odd front to get into even spacing. So it's really easy for a three-down front to slide and, and get to four, two, five looks. You know, all they have to do is pull a string on the defensive line, reduce your jack, your weak side outside linebacker, down into a five deck, and now you're playing. You can play under or over. You're you're in even spacing. You've got a five, a three, a shade, a five, or vice versa. However, you run it, and all you did was just pull a string and reduce a guy down, and now you can play all of your four, two, five stuff. Whereas if you're going from an even front and trying to get into mint, which is you know a four, two, five way of playing tight. Well, now you have to put in a language system and try to teach a five tech to play apex or drop or play like an overhang. It's a little more complicated for, to me at least, for an even front team to get into odd spacing than an odd spacing team to get into even front spacing. So, you know, to me, I've always thought if you go to a place where, you know, you might not have the talent, you're probably still going to have the speed. So for teams that are always, you know, kind of small, a lot of times they just rely on those wrestlers to where they're really smart, really tough, they tackle really well. Um, they're going to key and they're going to do all the things they got to do. They might not necessarily have all the length and girth and the weight that you necessarily like from guys, um, but they're going to give you everything they got. So you're going to automatically try to put as much speed as you can 
um, but it also plays in the general philosophy of just trying to spill and kill the ball. So that just goes right in line with tight. It goes in, you know, we're not a box team, we're a spill team. We just believe in trying to make the ball bounce all the way outside since we already are kind of light in the box a lot of times playing quarters and then also, you know, light and weight. We don't have a ton of, we don't have a 6'3", 280-plus pound nose tackle or a 4-I or anything like that. So spilling the ball with our bodies, even if they're small, um, and then rallying to it. And that, that goes into coverage as well, you know. That's another thing with the quarter system is, you know, we're going to play top down over everything. If you want to throw a bubble or a flat or any a fast three or anything into the into the flats, we're going to let you do that. We're going to make you drive the field. That kind of goes hand in hand with playing um, a three four with more speed and trying to force offenses to move all the way down the field. Um, so it all kind of plays hand in hand. But there's a lot of reasons on off front, um, and that's the question I get a lot from some from a lot of coaches is, you know, can I run the tight front? Because when I think tight front, I think Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. Um, absolutely. You know, do I have to run react attack? I think you should. I think you can. I think, you know, short stocky guys can be successful at running react attack and playing gap control. But, you know, a lot of it also comes down to opponent scout. You know, if you're playing in a rural area, watch those offensive linemen and see if they're getting to the next level. You know, a lot of you 1A, 2A, 3A small school guys, um, you know how many times it's not super often that offensive line are getting to the second level off of, you know, whether it's a gap double or a zone combo, how often are they actually getting up to the second level and not just, you know, creating a bubble using the guy in front of them and doubling all the way up. So, if, I mean, if they're not getting off doubles and things like that, I, I don't think there's a big reason why you shouldn't play attack react. The only reason you wouldn't play attack react is the whole point of tight is to force doubles and free up your inside linebackers. Well, now if you're looking for depth and you're kind of dipping and ripping into a gap, that guard tackle can go straight up to the second level. But if you if you don't see athletic offensive linemen that can do that, well, then I think there's no reason to not change the system a little bit and play attack react. Yeah, you took a question from me. I was going to ask you, like, could, could <laughs> coaches run that? So you're, this is your podcast now. You go. No. Um, that's a good point because I was getting ready to say, being the old line coach, when I see an odd man front, I salivate at first from an offense perspective, like, oh, there's only three guys on the line of scrimmage or whatever. But in all reality, like you just said, as an offensive lineman, I have to know our weaknesses. As a big guy, usually, can you go block a linebacker one-on-one? It's tough. It's very tough to do. So like you said, if you can occupy you know, most of those offensive linemen and let your linebackers roam and read and react – like they're supposed to, if you practice it all the time and drill it, it really helps the linebackers stay clean. Like they're going to just fly up. Yeah. And if you get the defensive lineman, sorry, there's a dog. I have a big chocolate lab. You might hear her. It's fine. <laughs> um, if you get the D lineman to buy in too, if like this is your job, like, yeah, you're going to make tackles, but if you can occupy this offensive lineman and we get these tackles from the linebackers, that's on you. Like you get them to buy in. It really works well with an odd man front defense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it goes both ways. Obviously, if your two studs are at inside linebacker, um, you obviously want them to be free. But also, if you're playing freshman and sophomore inside linebacker that hasn't had a, a very good taste of varsity ball, that guy, that kid's not going to be able to block the strike. You know, it's already hard enough for a junior or senior who's probably 20 or 30 pounds lighter than a guard or tackle to block the strike and play half a man and do all those things. A freshman or sophomore is just flat out not going to be able to do that. So whether you think your strength or your weaknesses at inside linebacker, you know, playing tight and, and forcing double teams and allowing them to be free. Either way, you know, strength or weakness at inside linebacker, you want to do that. It's always it's always good to get um, kids free, especially at the second level. You know, you don't have a ton of time 
if you have kids go to play pet, constantly put in block instruction over and over and over again when you're trying to teach them, you know, stance and steps and read keys. You know, obviously you want to constantly harp on block instruction, but if you don't necessarily have the time or the kids to, to do that, you know, I'm not going to ask a 150 pound, 160 pound inside linebacker. It's just not realistic for him to, you know, be able to get off a guard or a tackle. So the front plays in, whether those are your studs or, you know, kind of smaller, um, kids. And then another thing I talked to Nick about, maybe you can contest, if you're at a smaller school and you run an odd man front, that gives your linemen a break. Because yeah. if they have to try and play offense, maybe you can sub just one or two out. Like, okay, I only need three linemen in. So now you get some rest on offense. Let the O-line coach talk to them for a second. Instead of worrying about you need four out there, now you've got to rotate these four instead of maybe one or two or three tops as well. Yeah, that's that absolutely plays into it. So um, a lot of times we're kind of like five, maybe six deep at offensive line. You know, that six guys, like when you, he kind of has the no center guard and tackle because whoever's getting hurt, he's just kind of the next kid in that you throw in there. So really, you know, we're almost too deep on defensive line, whereas, you know, offensive line, the offensive line coach is kind of sweating. He's only thinking he has one dude, so if two dudes go down, he's really sweating. Um, whereas to us, we can constantly rotate kids in, but we can also still play all the, all the even stuff. Um, so not only can we play all the odd stuff just naturally being a three down foot, well now we can get fresh kids. We can get different kinds of kids in that nose. I love putting um, I love putting our best kid at nose and having them one on one with that center. But at the same time, I love getting that 160 pound wrestler who's super fast and twitchy and that just slammed that made egg. You know, it's a completely different look, especially when you know pre snap you're lining up in the zero and then sometimes you're ending up and even post snap. Whereas sometimes we we start even. So now the center's like, okay, good. You know, I only have a shade or only have a one over me or a two eye. He's thinking, okay, I just have to glance off this double and work up. Well, now we're moving pre-snap and we're doing all these things to mess with center. So all of it, you know, it's all good stuff. And you can do diff multiple different things with noses. And then um, another thing you defensive coordinators are getting really smart with is thinking like offensive coordinators. Because offense coordinators, I used to be one. I'm not saying it was good, but I used to be one. We tried out formation defenses. We want to like line up different looks. You know, we could run inside zone or trap or mesh, do it out of six formations so it looks different. One thing defense coordinators are doing to mess with us is they're lining up different all the time. With your three four, this tight three four, do you do you try to do the same thing of like I'm gonna run the same coverage four times in a row, but it's gonna look different every single time. Not based on what the offense is doing, but how I want to line up. I'm dictating how where I'm going to roll the safety down. Am I going to roll one at all, but I'm going to move guys around to make that offense, especially in the RPO world, if you just have one guy stand in the wrong spot, or to us, like, stand in a spot you've never stood in before, that takes away that RPO just by putting someone there for a second. Like, do you attack that the same way as, like, always? you guys are getting really smart, so you guys doing the same thing against the offenses? Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything that we put in, you know, just use the fronts, for example. So, you know, over spring, we install – Tight, we install over, we install under, um, then we install, you know, Oki double fives. So we install all that just static. The kids just line up in that. They learn all the run fits. They learn all the, everything. The second level run, runs all the run fits. We combine it with all the coverages. We play behind it. And then we start pre snap moving them. So now we start in tight. And then boom, we get into under right before the, right when the cadence starts. And we reduce that outside linebacker. And we do that for each front. So we'll line up. And an, an off front, we get the even, we'll get the even, and then light up in an off front. So there's the, the pre-snap stuff. We do the same thing with the back end. 
we'll show two high, we'll down to one high, we'll show one high, and then end up getting into quarters and things like that. So we do that pre-snap, that's kind of the second part. And then the third part is doing that all post-snap. So we'll start tight and then we'll slant to under or we'll slant to over or you know, we'll get in double fives and slant to four eyes and we'll do all that stuff post-snap. But the kids, you know, it's not super expensive on the kids because they already learn tight, they already learn under, they already learn over. So when you start doing all these slanting and these gap inserts where you're ending up in evens using post-snap, you can just tell the kids, hey, I know we're starting tight. You already learned the under front. Now you're just playing the under front post-snap. So it, you can do a lot, but if you teach it certain ways, you can kind of make it inexpensive. And then you start doing different things with personal packages. You know, we have a sub-personal package and a big personal package, but we steal those exact same concepts. So now we're do, given a bunch of different looks, um, but really kind of still doing the same thing. It's the same way that offenses are, you know, doing a bunch of different shifting and, you know, full formation motions and things like that, but still running inside zone or whatever their base calls are. We're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, because some I've talked to are saying, call a defense like an offense. So, like, if you teach something, no matter where they're lined up, they already know what's going on, no matter where they start. You know what they, – if they know what they're doing. I think Wade Phillips said it, like – if you know what you're doing, you can play fast. People always say play fast, but if you know what you're doing, you'll play fast. So that's a good way for you. I like that where defense corners say, we're calling it like an offense. We have to catch up. Like you said, they had to catch up to the spread. And then you did years ago, years ago, defense coordinators caught up, um, which leads into my next thing. And if I ever bore you, just tell me to stop and we can end it too. But <laughs> one thing I, I got a conversation, I've had this conversation, like offenses did a full circle. So, it used to be like I formation, wing T, veer option. Then we got into the spread world and air raid and RPOs. Now, at least up here, we're seeing it come back. So like for us, we had a hand down tight end, an H back right next to him. We made a wing instead of a tight end. We're starting to come. We're not running option stuff, but we're giving those looks again. For you guys down there, are you seeing that as a defensive corner? Like it's coming back full circle. Like, oh, they're lined up in a wing. They're lining up with hand down tight end H back. They're going back to buck sweep days. They're going back to let's let's run this option. Are you seeing that down there? Because in Illinois, it's kind of coming back full circle. Yeah, yes and no. It's kind of funny because, you know, what's tight and predicated off of, you know, is from the Bears, the double threes, the old 46 bear defense tour. That was predicated to stop one back teams and stuff like that toward now you know how our team's attacking the tight front walls and two back so now it's kind of transitions come full circle so yeah we see it constantly you know that's one of the that is one of the nice things about the tight front though is if you base out of it you kind of know how teams are going to hit you so a lot of times we'll get 10 personal teams that are 100 percent 10 personnel on opponent scout but they'll come out and they'll line up with a wing or a tight end with his hand in the dirt even if that's on a traditional tight end, they'll just put his biggest kid down there and they're running, you know, C-gap power, off-tackle power. So we see that all the time. Even in our spring game is a perfect example. It just happened. But, you know, when we did all the opponents go, every you know, the, the games that we had from the last year, they were a 10 personal team, pistol team. Well, when they come out in first snap, they lined up with a tight end and an H-back and a nasty split. So a condensed set to one side and they were twins to the other side. And they were running power and quarterback counter to that side. So it happens again and again and again. Um, but the good thing is, even like, so we saw a fight spot team last year, even the fight spot teams and the split back gear team that we saw last year, they still had spread elements. They still had a spread package. So the flex one team, the first half, they actually came out in three by one, true trips, but they still ran orbit motion and still ran beer. 
So same with the split back gear team, they went to a pistol system, a two-back pistol system. They still ran power, ISO, dive, that sort of thing that you see um, in the split back gear. So, you know, the old school teams are still kind of transitioning to a spread to where now, you know, they're not under center, they're gun now. They're still doing the same thing, though. They're still running counter power, trap, and things like that. Um, but, you know, now some of the spread teams are starting to do more of the, the 10, per, 11 personnel, 20 personnel, and some 12 personnel. That's the big one is 12 personnel. Yeah, because one team I coached two years ago, we were strictly two by two, three by one. That was it. Then I go to the next school. That's where we <clears throat> started to see the tight end come back. And then this past year, Steve, I want an H back and a tight end <laughs> for a run game. And I said, okay. And I started to realize we're coming back. So I had to go back on my drive on my computer and be like, okay, let's find the old school stuff. And so it's funny. I don't know if defenses are going back old school, but offense, we're starting to slowly say, hey, they know how to stop screen games they know how to stop this we have to go back and say how did we block a counter how did we do this like we have to go old school still out of the 12 personnel because i think that's the first step it went from 10 to 11 to 12 then it's gonna go back yeah. to 21 then high school's gonna go back to the i formation i'm gonna hate life because i like the spread <laughs> we're gonna go back uh and i played in the option i played in the power i option so i know how to coach option i just don't want to go back to it I love my spread and running the ball. Yeah, and it's the hard part is, you know, trying to game plan for that flexible team. It's hard to find how defenses. The Coach Steve Show is sponsored by the Launchpad Kickoff Team. If you're a football coach out there, high school, college, NFL, doesn't matter, and you're looking for that edge for your special teams, for your kicker, for the kickoff, onsides, you guys need to go to launchpadkickofftee.com. If you have a younger guy trying to develop the kicker, you want the ball to get to the end zone, you need to go to Launchpad Kickoff Tee. This tee gives a coach a strategic options for squib kicks, onsides, everything. It is proven that your kicker will kick off farther. It is legal for NCAA, for high school, okay? The Launchpad Kickoff Tee is a game changer. So if you go to launchpadkickofftea.com slash CSS to use the code CSS, you can get a Launchpad Kickoff Tee for 10% off. So go to launchpadkickofftea.com slash CSS. You can use the code CSS for the Coach Steve Show to get 10% off. Also, there's a bundle. You can get one for 10% off. You can go to two and get more percent off or there's an option to buy four if you click the option to buy the four kickoff tees if you like it so much when you use the code css you'll get the fourth one free so instead of paying full price for all four you'll get three so go to launchpadkickofftee.com css use the code css get 10 percent off buy four to get the fourth one free this is a game changer guys it does more than just hold your balls Go get the Launchpad Kickoff Tee today to give your kicker an edge for next season. As you guys know, the Coach Steve Show is also brought to you by the Unhinged Sports Network. The Unhinged Sports Network is a 24-hour, 7 days a week, 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner non-stop playing uh, radio podcasts about any sport that you guys can imagine. They have a proud partnership with Fanatics. So if you go to the link in the description, uh, go to Fanatics, use that link, and go get some gear to support the Coach Steve Show and to support the Unhinged Sports Network. They have deals all the way up to 70% off. They have deals for free shipping, and they have every single sports team you could think of. Your college team is going to be on there. Your professional team is going to be on there. They have good deals on jerseys, t-shirts, hats, socks, anything you want. So please use the link in the description to go to fanatics.com. Say big on your team's gear to help support the support the Unhinged Sports Network and to support the Coach Steve Show. Attack that. No. A, it's completely different jargon. So when I started researching, I knew they were on our schedule. I started researching in the offseason. You know, I'm trying to learn about the Belly series and Veer, and that's like, this is not in any article or book that I've picked up in the past couple of years. It's like it's almost like a lost language. It's like Egyptian uh-huh. hieroglyphics. It's like so. A, I have to learn these bizarre, different language system now. But I'm also like reading a playbook from the '60s to where the coach was just handwriting stuff. So it's not like a beautiful 2019 perfectly visio PowerPoint slides to work. You know, I can steal stuff from that. It's like, you really, really have to dig. You have to ask a lot of questions. You have to ask a lot of coaches different questions. A lot of it is just like old school knowledge that those guys just have in their brains and they don't even know to pull out until you ask them certain questions on how to how to defend certain things. So, you know, yeah, it definitely makes it difficult, especially as a young guy trying to, you know, learn how to defend the, the triple option or the flex bone or the wing tee or condensed splits and all that. You know, A, you might not even know what you're looking at half the time. You, know, you get the opponent scout, you see condensed splits, and they're running weird spin series and hide the hoagie stuff all of a sudden. You're like, what the heck is this? How do I even mm-hmm. find? Whereas if I need to find, a, you know, an, a clinic or a YouTube video on how to defend an RPO or glance on the backside, there's a 100 YouTube videos mm-hmm. out there right now. And it's really easy to find, and all those guys put out really great stuff, and it's talked about almost every day on Twitter or or YouTube or books or whatever, you know, there's a limited knowledge on how to kind of defend the spread stuff now. But trying to find a, a book or a YouTube video on how to defend the split back fear, you know, good luck trying to find that. You're going to get some weird old wiry, you know, black and gray TV series that's 15 minutes long. It's like, oh crap, I didn't get anything from that. I don't even know what the guy's talking about. Right. That's a good point because I'm trying to get back into my podcasting and one coach said that. He's like, remember. I remember trading film because I'm 30, but I came in coaching at 18 and I'm at the tail and I remember trading film. I remember you couldn't just look something up. And like you said, we can find everything on spread. We can find everything on RPOs. We can find everything even on some run games. You're right. That's a good point. Someone needs to create that. Like, how do you stop wing T? How do you stop veer? Because I used to coach defense for a couple years and we were three, four. The only thing we could come up with when we saw like an option team or a wing T team was if you're an odd man front, you take away angles for those linemen. So like you said, you're kind of in a good spot anyway. You're taking away mm-hmm. angles, and it just sucks in practice. You have to practice on a football. You just have to go through it on scout without a football. 
and each person's responsible for almost a person. Like you've got him, like in basketball, you've got him, you've got him. There's real no great way to do it. It's like, you've got this. Don't be looking back there. You've got this. You've got this. And there's no football. That's the only thing we could come up with was that. Because if you put six or seven guys on the line of scrimmage and they break one, they're gone. Because some people thought that too. Like, well, let me put five or six linemen or up on the line of scrimmage. No, because if they break through it, they're gone. You're, You're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But thank God for Georgia and Georgia Tech because of that, you know, that rivalry and Georgia Tech running all that old school offense still, you, you were able to see kind of a new age defense try to game plan and, and prep for an old school offense and GT. You know, it's not like that anymore, obviously, with Paul Johnson out there, but, you know, so Georgia would play their tower stuff and they'd play, a, you know, tight quarters a lot and they would rock and roll their safeties based off the older motion and things like that. They, I told, I, I stole a ton of that. So when we played our fight spot team, you know, that's what we did is we played the tower and we stayed in our base. And then a lot of times they came down to trying to muddle the reads for the quarterback. So, you know, formationally, what were they running out of each formation? Was it, you know, were they reading the, the end or was it an overhang? What were they reading? And then trying to stick them in different spots or just have them like not move at all almost to muddle that read and have that guy guess. That's really what it came down to. But trying to find that, you know, if, if Georgia had played Georgia Tech, that would have been a bore to play with play against, especially you know, luckily Army's still running the old school offense, so you can still see how teams attack it. So there's a lot of knowledge to be gleaned off of that if you can get your hands on that film. Um, but a lot of times it's it's extremely hard to find that out. I was getting ready to bring that up. You have to watch Army and Navy go play, but even even Navy's going a little shotgun more. Yeah. Um, that's all you have to do is go watch Army. But even Army's offense, I like. I'm a spread guy, but I like it because they're doing zone dive stuff out of it. So that's just another wrinkle they have. And it's like, how do you stop that if they bring that into the, into the mix? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then for me, you get a little bored. You're like, oh, they ran it eight times in a row. I want to see a pass. But that's yeah. just me. Especially, you know, I, I can't imagine it. Because I, <laughs> when I didn't play college, we actually had, uh, we had like a bunch of the Navy staff came over. And it was a new head coach. And he was, um, he played quarterback for Navy. So they ran the triple option. And there's nothing worse than playing inside linebacker and tracking the ball and then getting cut from nowhere. Like, thank God we don't cut in Florida, but if you're in Texas and you're playing those old school offenses and they can cut all the way downfield and things like that, there's nothing. As a player, you know, I, I to this day, I still don't know how to defeat a couple. I ripped it every single day during Indian group, and I still always got obliterated, always tried to undercut it in college. You know, I know they work all the big medicine balls and all that, but that that stuff sucks to go against. So it's almost a completely different world. Yeah, like, in Illinois, we can't cut outside of the box we can mm-hmm. cut whoever's in the box but we have to die it's not even a real cut you know the old the cut where you step up and then come down yeah. it has to just be straight out mm-hmm. when i helped out i went to eiu and i helped out the spring ball and dino babers was there now they really can't cut downfield either but to help out the linebackers if it were ever happened the lineman would dive like a yard in front of them to help them learn but you're right I, I don't want to do that. It's that you can't mimic that in practice. No, it's so hard to do. And even when you do it, it's it's horrible. You know, they tell you to jam the hand down and hip out and you know play over top of it. You're not allowed to undercut it because then your leverage is bad and things like that. But trying to do that full speed is, especially if you didn't grow up doing that. If you played linebacker for five years and all of a sudden you're playing on a Saturday and you know you've only gotten a couple of weeks to look at that. Trying to do that full speed, you know, that's not how your mind works. You know, you see toss or something like that, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to leverage it and play the, you know, aim for the inside hip. You're not even looking, you know, you're not even, you're looking for cracks, but you're not looking for a dude 
who's going to just jam down on your knees all of a sudden. So that's a completely, it's a different, it's a different ballgame. I hate it. That was my least, probably my least favorite thing about playing college football. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, like, as a linebacker, you're not, like you just said, you're looking at the play. You're like, yeah. my key says this, so I have to go do this. To ask a kid or who at whatever age, really, to be like, now nah, I have to kind of glance back here and see if a guy's coming for my knee. Yeah, yeah. No. Not fun. Not full speed. <laughs> Definitely not full speed. No. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier. You said you went to a college by Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm an Illinois fan, unfortunately, so I can't really like Ohio State. Like <laughs> – I grew up 20 minutes from the University of Illinois, so I have to be an Illini fan, unfortunately. Understand, I understand. It's Except rough. for Brent, Brent Billima's there, so hopefully it changes. We'll see. We'll see. He's a good coach. I remember him when he was there in the Big Ten. So, you know, I think, you know, can he recruit? That's always what it comes down to is, you know, he's from that area, isn't he? Yeah, he went to a high school in Illinois near the Iowa board. Okay. That's kind of why he went to Iowa. So if he, yeah, if he if he has you know connections in that area to, to recruit the Midwest and all end up fine, that's what it always comes down to getting those guys back that have played there and grew up there. Can they recruit? Well, the cool thing was we're getting off topic for just a second. The cool thing was he had his coaches call each high school coach throughout mm-hmm. like a month, so they they called every coach and had a conversation. So like. He's trying to get the coaches involved with every high school coach and like show their faces, and he's showing his face, and uh, so he's hitting the ground running because an I because one thing I think he learned in Iowa was Iowa knows to recruit the big boys in Iowa because that's where they're homegrown, so that's why they have the big linemen. Then they get their speedsters from like Ohio and down south and all that. He's trying to do the same thing. Like, what can I get in Illinois? And then he based off that. Lovey Smith was like, let me go to Florida and Texas and really bring them to Illinois. And I'm like, you ain't bringing those kids from yeah. Florida and, Illinois, and Texas to Illinois. Yeah, not a full roster. You know, here and there, you'll sprinkle them in, but not a full roster. Yeah, Gus is doing that. Gus was on. I, I can't stand Gus because everyone in Florida, they're already obsessed. You know, they almost – probably the most popular offense I see is the Gus was on 20 personnel offense. And with him – Coming to UCF, he's already recruiting really hard down here, and I'll see more and more and more of his offense. And that's literally probably one of my least favorite offenses to play against with the sugar huddle stuff and kids like the throwing wildcat and they're doing, you know, running counter and split zone and play action pass and things like that. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see when a coach, a big coach, moves into an area and see how it affects high schools and you start hearing tidbits about his staff and things like that trickle down. I would say like. I was getting ready to ask you what offense you don't like to see. I guess it's the beer <laughs> and Gus Gus's offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, a couple different things I don't I don't like seeing. You know, anytime that you try to take me out of the game to where you know I'm not able to coach my kids well. And what I mean by that is like you know pre snap and post snap motion. So you know I can coach a kid over and over and over again to to read his keys, stay on his keys, read a guard, you know, read the NBA line of scrimmage. But once you start, you know, doing this and dudes are doing that pre-snap and then they're also doing a post-snap. So like, you know, you run split zone and the ball's not hitting to where that, that H back's kicking out necessarily. The ball's not getting kicked all the way back there. So, you know, in the linebacker's mind, he's thinking, okay, ball's not hitting there. Well, then you start running the counter and then ball is hitting there. And then you start doing full slides and the ball, you know, your, your play action pass while well, the H-back is just in the pass protection, but he's still coming for us. You know, that sort of thing. You can tell a kid every single day, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, to not look at certain things. But, you know, I've learned one truth in coaching is that 
know, high school kids love looking at whatever they're not supposed to look at you know, in, in life, but especially football, they just look at whatever. And so, you know, I can do all sorts of things scheme-wise, and I can, you know, coach them as best I can during an Indian group and things like that. And, of course, we do all that. But once you start doing that in-game, you know, I can't problem-solve that in the game. I can tell a kid, hey, remind a kid, hey, read your keys. And I can tell that it's probably the number one thing that we owe to our kids in the middle of the game is read your keys, have good eyes. Um, but once you start doing that, it kind of takes – the coach out of the element and now you're trying to mess with a 15 year old 16 year old so that stuff to where you're doing a bunch of stuff pre-snap and post-snap um you know getting to unbalanced pre-snap is really annoying because now you know are you an auto check defense or do you have separate calls for that um do you have separate rules for each individual call into unbalanced that would be the random ways you know if he's going to play tight quarters he's going to play tight quarters and he calls it He's going to play it to three by one or unbalanced four by one, whatever. They'll have different rules built into it, but it does make it kind of expensive to have, you know, different rules and auto checks to, to different things. So a lot of pre and post snap movement. That's kind of the, the pain. If I had to pick one offense, it would be the split zone counter play action pass offense to where the H back is constantly moving across, but it's not necessarily you can't key them anymore. A lot of times, in you know, twenty personnel I form. That H back or that fullback sitting to the ball will not necessarily with that Gus Mazon stuff, especially when the real Gus Mazon guys want inverted ear and power read, and that's I hate. That's probably my least favorite play. <laughs> yeah, um, people forget that's where he brought it from. Was yep. his offense was veer and wing T stuff, yep. and he just morphed it into this pistol, right. pistol. Well, yeah, pistol, and then like a spread. Yeah, it, it gets more popular because. Um, I've been on a podcast where we've talked about that. The term is like, why is his offense so sexy to offensive coordinators in high school? And it's like, well, it's actually pretty easy, and you disguise it real well. And then you've got uh, Coach Deerman. He runs the exact same stuff, and he's become real popular. So it's not just Gus. You have Brent Deerman doing yeah. it, and it's very easy for us to do. Yeah. And, and it's still really easy to throw in air raid concepts. So yeah. it's really easy to throw in four verts or switch verts or Y cross. Mash is another one that, you know, people that run 20 personnel with an H-back love doing. They love running mash. So it's really easy to do the inverted re inverted beer, power read stuff, split zone and counter and all that. But then also you're still a gun, you're still a pistol. So now it's really easy to throw in all the air raid concepts as well. So teams that sprinkle, sprinkle in different kind of offensive stuff, whether it's, you know, wing stuff with the beer and they throw in mesh you know, that or smash or whatever it is, you know, that's when – you, know, you start playing that chess game, that's that's an offense that's kind of a pain, pain in the butt to make. Um, I talked to a coach, a Coach Bond, he's a high school offense coordinator, and he, in, not invented, but they run the wing raid, so he has oh. his he has his wing T concepts. That's what they base off of. When he installs, it's like, we're a wing T team, but he will do it out of spread. <laughs> and he only has, like I think it was four air raid concepts, so you have all the wing T concepts. Then you put in the quick game of the air raid and one or two dropbacks. And his quick game can be RPO as well. So he said, that just sounds dangerous to me. Like you you incorporate all of that. That's dangerous. Yeah. And that's, that sounds like a pain to have Colin <laughs> Scott as well. Like, like you turn on the film, you're seeing 10 personnel, and you see two by two or three by one. You're like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get flood and I'm going to get mesh and I'm going to get smash. And, post wheel things like that and all of a sudden he's running veer or orb of motion a bunch of things out of that and you're like what what well hold up this is yeah you know that you have to like i said you have to start youtube and weird arcade defenses to try and stop it for the old school knowledge but you're still you're still having to align or respect 
him lining up and spreading the field pre-snap. You know, you stop and respect all the zones and how every team's attack you. So you, now you're trying to do that with a back end while still marrying up the front end. Yeah, that sounds... I'm, I, I wish you wouldn't have interviewed him. You should have just kept that as a secret. I don't want anyone else running that. It sounds like a pain. That was months ago. I don't know if anybody remembers. That was before... <laughs> that was... When was that? That might have been like October, November of 2020. So I don't know if anybody remembers. Okay, good, good. But, uh, but I'll shelve that one. <laughs> yeah, just get rid of that. But I was going to say, there's a uh, Coach Rick Stewart. He has his pistol wing T mm-hmm. RPO stuff. So I can't help you there. He that's all over the place. People, yeah. people are really buying. They're buying his stuff and diving into that. And that, if I was a defense coordinator and I saw that, and they had the dudes to do it, I wouldn't mm-hmm. sleep. Like, yeah. like to figure that out. Yeah, luckily we don't see a ton of our like we see very basic RPS systems. Most of the time it's like slam bubble or glance on the backside. Um, a lot of times it's it's pre snap. It's not even post snap to where they're reading. A, it's definitely never a backside safety to where they're reading a coverage from the backside. Like Alabama does it. That's another that's another level. I can't imagine having to defend. <laughs> you know, trying to pull the ball and then reading the backside safety. Most of the time they're just pre snapping. We get a lot of gift routes, especially in three by one. So the quarterback will look over. We get a lot of check with me offenses, so they'll line up in three by one, read what that back, that boundary corner is doing. The coach will tell them, hey, throw the feed or throw the slant or throw the dig, and we'll play that chess game. You know, we see more of that the pre-snap stuff than actual RPOs. So kind of lucky in that, but, you know, the tight tight quarters is kind of built for that to where, you know, you're taking away inside zone, which all spread guys love, and then you're taking away deep by running quarters, and you also, you know, we're a big two team, so now we're taking away the bubble, which is probably the number one RPO route. So we kind of already kind of playing in that. So I'm thinking I'm ready for it. I'm hoping, but when I, when that wave hits, you know, I'm hoping I'm ready for it. <laughs> well, well, lucky for you, I think offense coordinators, especially in high school, they tried those second three level RPOs. Those are so like you just said, they're so tough. Alabama can do it. Um, you know, Gus can do it. But in high school, we, we that's where it's coming back. We're like. Is it worth doing a second level RPO? Is it worth doing this third RPO? So lucky for you guys, <laughs> it's yeah. hard to teach a high school quarterback to be like, okay, when you come up, read this guy. But that if he's here, but now you got to read this guy. Now when you're writing, now you read this third level. Like it's just to practice it to get it. it it's it's sometimes not worth it. It's it's better just to hand the ball off. Like yeah. so lucky for you guys, we're coming back. We're like you know maybe we shouldn't do second third level. Maybe we should just do one level. Yeah. If you yeah, get it, a- that's great. But yeah. That's a pain enough, and I mean that's what when I talk to college VCs, you know, that's what they think was it's more efficient to show a light box. And Cody Alexander just wrote on this and has written a ton of stuff on this. You know, that's a big reason that a lot of the NFL teams are going to, to too high, or at least it looks like too high. They're still playing the middle of the field close coverage, and they'll still play, you know, man match three and all those sorts of things. But it looks like a light box. So now, you know, an offensive coordinator, quarterback's going, hey, we're just going to hand the ball out there because that's what the numbers say. You know, we're getting a six or a five man box. Let's run the ball, even though it doesn't necessarily turn out that way post snap. <clears throat> so, you know, to a, a lot of defense coordinators, you know, that's what they want is, hey, run the ball. We'd much rather you do that than constantly take shots on us, um, especially if you have quarterback or the kids to do it. Um, is there anyone else besides the coaches you named before that you go look at in the offseason? Because you run a 3 4. So, like, is there any other coach where you go, you know what? They don't run a tight 3 4, they don't run this. But do you go look at them and say, I want to see what their coaches are and see if I can incorporate how they do things into this? Yeah, this is kind of – I personally don't. You know, when I when I tell young coaches that are 
you know, first time defensive coordinators and when they ask me what to do, I say, I think this might be different, uh, different on defense than offense. I think on offense, it might be a little bit easier to take a passing concept or take, you know, same side, same side runs. So if you're taking same side zone, you already run inside zone. That's not super, super different, but learning the Aranda system front to back hundred percent, it's taken me almost two to three years to learn the complete system and learn the language. And the biggest thing was learn how and why he would call things. So, you know, in year one, I would get into problems to where I didn't know. I had all these collection of plays, but I didn't know how or when to call them. So, you know, I was getting um, weak gap or well, weak side counter, GH counter, and I wouldn't know what necessarily what call to match it up with. So I would have to go back, rebook at the Aranda system, rewatch the tape, look at his playbook, ask people ask people questions who knew the system. You know, when would Aranda call that? And I had to do that for almost each individual call. So I think on defense, it's kind of hard to just take concepts and take calls and just stick it into your system and hope that you'll be able to execute it. You know, one thing is, can I coach it? You know, do I understand the scheme as a coordinator? Can I teach it to the position coach? You know, does he understand that? Can he teach the technique and the concept? And the biggest thing for me is, am I going to call it? You know, I think it's really easy to get into the trouble of, you know, installing things. But then, you know, Friday night hits and your head coach is yelling at you that he needs to stop. Am I gonna am I gonna call it or do I trust the call enough to even run it? Can my kids run it? So at least on defense to me, you know, I am glad that I learned the Iran system front to back so that I can match that to different things. But once you start kind of peeking in, so I've like looked at Nick a little bit, a little bit of Kirby Smart, a little bit of Nate Woody, you find out that a lot of the stuff is really translatable. I didn't know it, but Aranda goes and he clinic with, you know, Colorado and uh, Louisiana Lafayette, and he would go and he would meet with all kinds of people, defensive coordinators at, the, at that level. They meet with each other constantly. So Spike One Rat, Kirby runs it, Nick runs it, Randa runs it. There's like 25 dudes that run that one pressure. Spike One Rat or play One Rat. So a lot of those, I don't know if that's just a defensive thing because it's us versus the offense, so we all just share information because we're trying to survive. Um, but for me personally, I... I just look at one system. Now I'm starting to learn other systems. I would love to marry the TCU 425 back end with the Aranda front end one day. So that is on the, the list. Um, now that I've kind of come full circle with the Aranda stuff, I feel really comfortable calling it. Um, I kind of made it my own. Um, but now I'm slowly starting to branch off into different things. But a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it is the same thing, just taught different plays with different coaching cues and things like that. Yeah, because every – Offense or defense coordinator, at least offensively, we, we all get in trouble. We see something we like. Oh, let's add it. So we add it. The next thing you know, your playbook is like this big. Yeah. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't need all this. So I know for a couple of coaches, like if you research something and you know, this will fit in our system, the question becomes, what are you going to get rid of? Mm-hmm. So I feel like for defense, that'd be kind of hard. Like, well, I like this, but can you really get rid of something and replace yeah. it? Because the moment you get rid of it for a defense, the offense didn't come out and do something like, well, man, if I would have had this in, it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing. And I, I stole this from Miranda, but it was like, you know, if I install something, then we have to practice it. And if I practice it, I have to call it in the game. And if I call it in the game, that's what I'm doing. So, you know, it's not why people ask me about cover three all the time. And I'm not huge on cover three. The reason being is we don't practice it a ton. So if we don't practice a ton, I don't expect my kids to be really good at it. So I'm not going to call it a ton of game because we're not a cover three team. You know, if I say I'm a quarters guy, you know, I better be pretty good at problem solving quarters. You know, and I should call it a lot. So we stick in at 80% of the time. Are there certain fire zones and things like that we have to run through under three deep? 
you know, apps slowly week into it. We don't live in it or anything like that, though. So if you start installing things, then you have to practice it. You have to call it. If you call it, you have to do it. So um, trying to marry practice time with how much you're calling it and how much you believe in the concept of calls, I think uber important, especially for a young coordinator to where if your call sheet's like this and you're staring at it and the clock's ticking down and the team's running tempo or NASCAR and you've got kids doing this and asking for a play call, you better know all of your calls and you better know the how and why for each of the calls. Yeah, it's fine to tweak thing. In a normal year, COVID year, we have to install left and right. In a normal year, it's fine to tweak things of like, you don't have to necessarily install something new, but like tweak it. When you want to install or add something is now, like in the off season, that's when you try it. If it don't work, it don't work. But I think younger coaches need to realize like you can tweak things, shift something, do whatever, but don't add something week four or five because yeah. like you said, you're going to have to practice it. You're taking away practice from maybe your base defense that could save you in a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you hope that your base defense is flexible enough and you're good at it enough to be able to run it in a bunch of a bunch of different schemes. So, you know, I can draw up tight four and I can draw up on the board how to fit. You know, we can still fit counter and see get power and speed option and all those sorts of things on a whiteboard. Is it necessarily putting my kids in the best position to be successful? No, I would much rather be and, you know, I'd much rather have a five deck to the tight end if you're running to the tight end. You know, that's that, that's it. Yeah. But now if we're in tight and you run gap scheme to the tight end, am I going to expect my tight, my inside linebackers to play over top and slow the ball and the safety to be able to rally down and all sorts of things? You know, absolutely. I want to, I want them to be able to do that in our base. So your base, you should feel really, really comfortable with. Because sometimes if a team is doing this pre and post snap and they're running tempo and your kids are losing their minds and they just had a big score go. You know, sometimes you have to absolutely rock back and play in your base and trust your kids that, you know, we've practiced this enough to do it. But, you know, you also still want to be able to to do a bunch of different things. Um, that's, you know, I'm kind of of the ideal of, you know, more is more, less is less, do more better. That's kind of my sort of thing. I think if you ask coaches to coach, it's in your name, you should be able to do it. But you also still want to be really, really good at your base. Now with the TCU four two five, are you really interested in like the mixed coverage and the blue coverage? Oh my goodness, that stuff. Yeah, I really. I I spend a fair amount of time with Vass. He's the one who kind of taught me everything. So, you know, my call system is all is not all TCU like. It's way more TCU like than a random like. So, you know, random will just call Feisman, and that's one call, and it has all the adjustments in it. And the D line has to know what to do, and the second level, third level, know what to do all based off one call. Or you know, the TCU call system is. You know, they'll call the front and the movement, the second level of the movement, in the field side, the middle safety, and the boundary side, and the chip check. I'm kind of more of that. I think it's a little more, it's easier for a high school kid to memorize and not have to learn all the auto checks and all the rules and concepts and things like that. So I already love the TCU call system. I think when you look at TCU and how successful they are in defending the pass, I think they might be the best to do it, especially with the kids they have. They don't have a ton of kids running know four fours and four fives in the back end but they're really patterson's really really smart with how he does it so if there's a way to do the aranda front seven stuff and how he problem solves but also still run the, the tcu back end stuff i would love to be able to do that one day i've talked to a couple guys and they said that's what it's gonna be really challenging to do in a, a three four system but if i could steal stuff and take stuff you know that's kind of the next goal trying to make a frankenstein defense you know i want to be able to put my bio aranda in the front or Patterson in the back. That's like my goal. If I can do that, I'll, I'll die happy. <laughs> so when the guy created Wing Raid, you could create this defense. Like you, exactly. You're able to marry this. Yes, so, and, then, and, then I, and then I can put it on a t-shirt and sell t-shirts. That's the goal. 
there you go. And then make some extra money because yeah. coaching doesn't pay everything. You can make a extra money. Um, no, because one year I was an OC and the head coach tried to do the four two five. He literally laid out that TCU playbook and was like, we're going to do this front to back. And I said, oh, good luck. Yeah. And that is so – he. I'm going to talk bad for a second. So he tried to do the blue mix coverage. Like it was like week two or three. He comes into practice on a Tuesday or Wednesday. All right, we're going to do this and try to drill it right then and there. I'm like, you can't teach those coverages in a week. It's just not going to happen. You have to like dedicate to it, you know, but if you can marry that to where like, okay, when this receiver does this, this guy's jumping to it. And this guy's going over here. If you can do all that in a three, four, when you got more guys to play with, that might be dangerous. Yeah, that's kind of a goal. There's a lot, and they do a lot at TCU, and they do a lot with, you know, the hardest part of learning a, a DC's scheme is always the language stuff. That was the that was probably half the battle with the Raiders stuff, you know. He plays poach, but he doesn't call it poach. He calls it gold. Why does he call it gold? I have no idea why he calls it gold. You know, to him, quarters to one side is red hammer. To read to one side is called nail. So, like, having to do that with a whole other system and write down all of the language stuff and then trying to translate that into what it actually means, that's like 75% of the battle. And then you finally get to the nuts and bolts of things on how calls work. So one day I would love to be able to do that. They're uber, uber flexible. But I think, like I said in the beginning, it's really easy to go from odd to even. So it's really easy to, like I said, pull a string, um, play under, play over, reduce that outside linebacker, play an even front, and then now you're in, you know, you're Sam, our, our Sam's already pretty much a nickel anyways. <clears throat> Especially if they're playing on a hash, he's playing with all that space anyways. A lot of times, apex all the way out or split in one and two. So he's already he already has to be that nickel type anyways for us. Um, but now you're playing all those those match coverages on the back end. I would love to be able to do that one day. Yeah, Coach Vass might be the perfect guy to ask. Oh, absolutely. He's a, he's a freak. He's a monster. <laughs> um, Coach Banster, I'm friends with him too. He had Vass on, and I'm like that guy might whip me on football talk. Like, no offense to anybody I've ever talked to, that guy might just whip me a new, like, oh, excuse me. He, <laughs> no, he, he's special, man. He's special. I don't I don't want to ride him too hard and brown nose him or anything like that, but, yeah, he knows, like, everything about everything. It's like when you have a conversation with him, it's like he'll dip into the Saban stuff and use his terminology, then he's in the TC stuff, and then he's back up into the Kirby Smart stuff, and then he's in the Aranda stuff. And it's like all in like 30 seconds, you're like, dude, this is awesome. I'm definitely going to have to record this and watch this 10 times though. <laughs> it's like, slow down. Let me get the piece of paper out. Slow it down. Repeat yourself. Uh, it's all it's all such good stuff. I was finally able to watch film with him of like my own my own film from our defense and like the stuff that he would saw. I was like, oh, that doesn't, I wouldn't have even thought to look at it that way. So yeah, he's awesome. But the TCU stuff, yeah, he has that stuff completely narrowed down. Yeah, it's a good defense. It's just, very, you could correct me if I think it was very lengthy terminology wise, or there was just so much different stuff. But the, I was an offensive coordinator, but I was kind of help coaching the the hybrid safeties. The one thing I liked was how you had different calls. So like you know your front six, you had this yeah. call. The rest, you waited. You could wait for the formation to come out, yep. then you could let them know. Yep. Or they got to the point where your safety could call it for you. Like I only have this, they're gonna call it for you. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like if you. Initially, when you get the playbook, it looks, you know, this big. But then when you really start narrowing it down or you come at it with, as a kid, like if I'm playing safety, I'd much rather play in that system as it being opposed to having one-word calls and then having to know all the rules and then one-word calls. So, like, if we're in tight four 
can be a random system. <clears throat> I have to know if they come out three by one, I have to check gold, and now I'm playing poach three, or if they come out and they're a pro to my side, well, now I'm playing fox post, and if they uh, come out to twins on my side, I'm playing red hammer, and you're doing that for each individual call, but it's still tight four. You know, I think that's that's really difficult for a kid. That's a lot to ask a kid, whereas, you know, if you're in the TC system, you're just telling that kid, hey, you're playing quarters just with a different word, or hey, you're playing two reads, you're playing blue, whatever you're doing, you're just telling that field safety exactly what to do. Then you kind of take it the ball out of his court. It might be a little more difficult as a coordinator and have a giant call sheet and try to mix that all together and understand how it fits together. Um, but I would much rather do that than ask a kid to memorize a bunch of stuff. So this is personal, personal purpose. I think it works both ways. You know, as long as they're getting lined up and you can play, if you coach your kids, good the other way, you know, more to you. Just how my brain works personally. Um, you know, still remember playing and things like that. So I can still think of back as a player. I think it'd be easier that way. Yeah, and if you're confident in what you're showing them, they're going to be confident. Like, oh, well, because yeah. us coaches, I just said this to uh, – it was Coach Harvey I had on. He coaches in Texas. Um, we, we were talking and we said, like, we asked these kids to do all this. If we don't do all this and we're not confident, we don't put all this extra work in. Like what you're saying, you're going to do research on can I do this to put them in a great spot with this defense. You're going to do all that research. And those kids are going to see it. They're like, this coach is going all out for me. I'm going to go all out and practice. They're confident. We're going to have fun. And it's just going to go fast. Yeah. yeah. And young coaches need to understand that's what this profession is. Yeah. Yeah. And once you take a stipend and you call yourself coach, you have to coach. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. it's literally, it's a part of, part of, it's literally what it means to coach. So you have to be able to do that. But I've, I've never had a kid that was like, whoa, slow down. This is too much. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to run that call because I don't understand. I've never, you know, I've never, if anything, it's the complete opposite. It's like, you know, especially with spring, the kids were, they just wanted more. They wanted the whole playbook and they wanted to run it all. But we're day two, day three in the corners asking, the Bobby corners asking when he can go on a, on an edge blitz and what with the safety is like, you know, the nickel's going, when can I go? You know, the, we're doing a bunch of different things. We're dropping out our outside linebackers and playing one rat. You know, when can we do those things? Kids always, want to feel like they're doing the highest level thing you know that's just that's human nature is you want to feel like you're elite at whatever you do and a part of that is kind of doing a lot now you can do that to temper that with certain things you know you have to cut i cut a lot of fat out of the random system you know a lot of the auto checks and things like that i didn't feel like i needed 12 different bunch checks i see bunch five times a year like is there a reason for him to have all those checks to be foolproof and obviously he's good enough to win an F championship and i think he's like the greatest coach out there yeah, you know, he had to do that. But he's also making a million dollars a year, and I have 25 kids. You know, I have to understand where I'm at and my kids. And if you're in a two-platoon system and you have 200 kids in your, high, in your high school football team and you have a JV and a freshman team and things like that, then you might have even more and a bunch of different bunch checks and things like that. But as long as you're able to coach your kids and, and genuinely tell them that, you know, you're doing your best to put them in the best position possible, whatever that is, I think you'll end up good at the end of the day. You must be doing something right if they're not confused or asking questions. You must be doing something right down there. We try. We try. We try. They sometimes they ask me questions. I, in fact, whenever we install something, I always stare at them and I go, "Does anyone have any questions?" And they never. I, they never have any questions. I always go, "Okay, great. We're going to come out here and we're going to run this perfect." And I throw a bunch of different formations at, then I get a bunch of questions on the field. And I, go, I thought you guys said you just. I just thirty minutes ago, I just asked you guys if anyone had any questions. So. You know, but they get excited, and when they get excited, they tend to ask a lot of questions. But there's nothing better than having those kids that do ask a lot of questions. 
the most important question of the day is, do you even sleep as a defensive coordinator? Because when I coach defense, I never – you lose sleep on Thursday nights or whatever. Oh, no, no, absolutely. It's uh, offseason a little bit easier, especially like in COVID. The during the COVID year was like, when can I get to my kids? Like that was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. It was like you didn't – no one knew, A, what the crap COVID was. So, no. The administrators didn't know when the heck they were going to go back to school, so the coaches didn't know when the heck they were going to get back to their players. So you're constantly trying to judge, like, can I can I just get to my kids? And now we're finally able to get back with the kids, and now you know finally you're able to get back and start worrying about you know unbalanced or empty or you know twelve personnel and all those sorts of things. You know, sleep. I would love to be able to be an offensive coordinator and see what that's kind of like. Um, I'm at a small I'm on a small staff, so I do have to help out with the wide receivers, and I get to sit in on the meetings and they talk about offense and that sort of thing. Um, you know, my hope is that I make offensive coordinators lose sleep and they have to end up like me. <laughs> That's kind of one of the big reasons is I do hope I torture the guy across, across the field from me that way. And he's kind of stressed out all week and just as stressed out as I am. Um, it's a reason we do a bunch of different things and give a bunch of different looks, but you know, I prefer a win over, you know, a couple hours of sleep. that's that's very true don't worry i've I've lost sleep being on offense but when i was defense it was i wasn't even the dc i was like the assistant dc and i still like oh my gosh we have to stop this or oh my gosh we have to stop this or how is this going to happen and your mind just races as an offense offense i think i just wake up early not necessarily lose it i'm just up early (laughs) yeah i think the biggest thing is like when you're when you're coaching defense you know how to break your own rules so you're like you see your defense and you're like, oh, if they were to come out of this, this would be really bad for this call. And that's just the nature of defense. And you're like always thinking, oh, crap, they're going to come out on this one call. I just know they're going to come out on this one call. And sometimes they do, but 90% of the time they don't. But you're constantly thinking about that for each call. And then you always get to Tuesday and Wednesday. And for whatever reason, the kids have to forget how to fit power. And you're like, oh, crap, they don't even know how to fit power. We're not going to be able to do anything on Friday. <laughs> and then they end up on Thursday and they're completely fine and they, they revert it back to themselves. But, yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I think coaching general is why I don't have any hair. I think it's just that's why it's slowly – I've embraced just the short hair. It's, it's <laughs> gray in the beard. It's going to happen. No, there's something, there's something to being bald and being able to go to coaching. You know, look at Coach Hines and Coach Amanda and Coach Mackey. All of them. All the powerful coaches are bald. Except save it, you know, but I think it's because he just makes enough money to where he probably has plugs yeah. or something like that. <laughs> it's not even his real hair. That's <laughs> There's, no way. There's no way. No, I'll embrace <laughs> the baldness one day. I think someone told me football causes gray hair, but basketball makes you go bald. Or so, No, basketball causes gray hair. Football, you go bald. <laughs> okay. And I was going to ask, I was going to basketball that much more stressful than football? No, I, I got to make so I blame the hair on football and then the gray and the beard on basketball. Track, I don't know what it does. Track, I have no idea what, what stresses that causes. 16-hour meets on Saturdays. Those are rough. Sunburn and complaining, I think that's yeah. right. <laughs> I, remember, I remember I had to run the 400 for one year because my football coach, Andy Dill, he was the track coach. That was literally the worst season of my entire life was having to do that. Run one event, but you're there all day, and it's the worst event. It's like, oh, this is horrible. Just let me go home. That coaches are going to might crucify me for this. For track, I just coached the throwers, but the rule we couldn't take buses to the meet, so they got to leave when they were done. Oh, that's big. And, and our our track program was pretty big. I coached the girls. I think we had a hundred and ten girls on the team. Wow! Holy cow! The school has three thousand six hundred kids. 
because I coach football at one school and then basketball and track at a different school. Don't oh, wow. it's a long story about why that happens. Um, they don't play each other in anything. The football school I coach at has eighteen hundred kids. Then the high school I coach basketball and track at has three thousand six hundred. So to have one hundred and ten girls was a lot, but like they're so almost disconnected because like throwers were off on our own little world. Long distance is not in their own little world. Jumpers are in their own little world. Then you got just sprinters. Yeah. You, you know, like small high schools, you got so many kids in so many different events. With yeah. all these girls, they don't have to do all these different events. They're kind of in their own world. Yeah. So when I was down throwing with the girls, we left. I was like, all yeah. right, I'm going home. I don't yeah. have to why, be there. Why, why, <laughs> you know, why not I get school square and cheering your, your peers on and things like that? But dude, those are long days. I still remember that, you know, getting there super early, warming up, and then, you know, your event's not until like 4 p.m. So you have to sit there all day. And you have to get amped up an hour before and try to get all sweaty and warmed up for one run or something like that. That was horrible. That was not my sport. <laughs> I love track, but you do have a point of like, if it's a long enough meet and you're just doing one thing, that sucks for the kid. Yeah. But yeah, there was something to be said about having getting to leave, especially this COVID coaching year. That was the only reason. Now next year, I want to stay and watch it. But you're right. Yeah. Coaches are going to me for that. I, I love track guys because uh, half the time I get like new DBs and they run all funky. And I'm like, no, you're running. You, you better go figure out, go talk to the track coach because that's what we're going to be doing in spring because you've got to talk to them because you, you don't even know how to run yet. If you don't know how to run, it's going to be a rough on you. Good luck trying to pedal or shuffle or anything or transition, speed turn, man turn, all that stuff. You know, you got to figure out how to run first before you can do everything else. So, you know, track is always the best to get. Uh especially up here, um, Coach Tony Holler, who does Feed the Cats thing that's become pretty big. He's 20 minutes down the street from me and the town over. So that, that's everywhere around here. And it's the speed-based train that you see Alabama do in Ohio State. Then my buddy who's in central Illinois, because I'm from central Illinois. I grew up right next to you. And I live up in the Chicago suburbs for about two or three years now. My buddy still lives in central Illinois. He does the speed-based training, and I'm trying to study that. He has a sophomore lineman about to be a junior getting recruited by U of I, Northern Illinois. He's going to Indiana next week because he's gotten his it's so much faster. And they don't focus on like one rep maxes anymore. It's it, it's it's so much to dive into the speed of the cats, this track training program that's come over to football. It's crazy. And the guy's twenty minutes down the street from me. And then awesome. everybody so around here's Yeah, it's so just huge in area. Yeah, it's yeah, he's from Plainfield. So people out there, go talk to Coach Tony Holler. Um, Coach Dixon's another one I've had. He's big in it. Um, my buddy's Coach Nathan West. He's on there. He's really big in it. Like, to get his track girls running 18, 19 miles per hour or something, it's it's crazy. Like, and, and I know I've been out here a while, but one crazy thing he told me was, if I saw his track practice in the offseason, you would think they're lazy. And I said, what do you mean? They run really hard for a little bit, then they sit down for five or ten minutes. They will literally sit there and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Then they get up and run again. Follow up max speed. Yeah. yeah, and then like Alabama adopted this, I think, because Indiana's training strength and conditioning went to Alabama. So like, if you look at Alabama's offensive line, their power generated over the year got stronger and stronger and stronger, and they would do. A, dead sprints on like Wednesday or Thursday of that week. I think it was Wednesdays and then do nothing until they played. They would just do normal practice. And then and they peak at the right time. 
they just peaked at the right time and they got faster. Smith, you saw how fast he got throughout the season. Like mm-hmm. it was, it's just crazy. So now that Alabama's adopted it, Ohio State's done it. Indiana was doing it this year, and you saw, like everybody saw how great they got, yeah. how much power. Everybody's adopting it, so that's my track input. If they do, <laughs> if they do that stuff. No, no, it translates perfectly over to football. No, I still remember. I'm not old or anything, but we were just running the bigger, faster, stronger program, and it was all three sets of three and three sets of five and three, two, one, and heavy, heavy lifts, heavy max, and things like that. And then you know, getting to college, and it was all 300 yard shuttles and 100 meter da- or 100 yard dashes and things like that. And now you see it's like completely flip flopped on its head. But you see them, I and you see the kids just completely different speed nowadays compared to what used to be even just a decade ago. Yeah, like. If, if you watch The Office where he's like, explain it to me like I'm five, I have to do that with my buddy. Like, explain to me like I'm five what you're doing. <laughs> and he was like, the base of it was like, old school mentality was, okay, this group, you're all doing front squats or back squats and deadlifts and this and that. He's like, okay, if I tell a kid you're supposed to do front squats, go bench press or go do whatever. But let's say he's watching the kid do front squats and it's just not clicking, the body's not clicking with it. He'll immediately go tell him, Hey, your body's not reacting well to this uh, front squat. Let's try a back squat, or let's go try to do a different variation of this, or let's go do this because the body's not reacting. So now he's listening to the body. He's seeing what he's doing. He goes and does this lift, or go does this instead, and the body reacts to it. Like that's why some coaches haven't adopted things like that because the old school way is you're doing this, you're doing this. It doesn't matter. No. Now they're adapting to what the body does. And then let's say the next day he tries the front squat. And his body reacts better. It's like, okay, now you're able to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, progression. And, and, right. So I think part of it was the old school way of – we talk about old school offense, old school defense. Training is still old school. Coaches are slowly getting out of it. And this is my little tangent. And I think it's because we don't want to learn it. Because as a coach, like, if you're a defense coordinator, you have to worry about defense. Your plate is so full. Why would you have to all of a sudden flip and be like, I've got to worry about this? Because schools all don't have strength conditioning coaches. So I think some old school coaches are like, I can't think this. Like, let's just do the old school way. So some coaches I don't think want to put all this time in. But I think we're, we've turned the corner. Like, we're all doing that now. We're all learning defense or offense. We're all learning strength and conditioning. So that's the great thing about learning that stuff and bringing it with you. It just adds more to your resume, too, if you learn all of it. So that's why I'm trying to learn it. And seeing the results, I'm like, yeah, everybody should learn this to get bigger, yeah. faster, stronger. That, that's difficult, though, as a coach. It's, a, it's really hard to get out of habits because you're just like, well, I did it when I was young. And I look at me, I ended up perfectly fine. Or like, you know, look at Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was doing the, these lifts and that obviously worked for Bo Jackson or worked for whoever a decade ago. Um, but obviously the, the smarter coaches are kind of personalizing things. And you know, obviously anytime you can get ahead in any field, you know, you already have an automatic edge over everyone else. I mean, I remember I still find myself doing that with things technique-wise. You know, <clears throat> growing up, I was always told not to swim move because it, it gave your ribs up and an offensive line was just going to plant you down because you had access to your ribs and it kind of left you really vulnerable if you were trying to do this. So I was always taught in high school and college not to swim. You know, but if you talk to high-level defensive line guys now, you know, that you're perfectly fine swimming because – you know, you're not supposed to go fully over top. You know, you're kind of angle difference to where you're not giving them your entire side of your body and things like that. But, you know, for the first couple of years of coaching, you know, that's what I told kids was, hey, don't don't swim because you know, that's what I was taught. And then you kind of learn, oh, 
no, you cancel. There's actually a better way to coach that point, and there's a reason you can do it this way. And I constantly, even still to this day, find myself doing you know, little things that I still do in my brain the old school way just because that's how I did it when I was younger. And it's hard. I'm laughing that you said that because I still say that. like, Because I played offensive line and all that. That's true. We go for the ribs. But like I've coached defensive line too, so what I learned was it's not – and you correct me, it's not necessarily a swim. I've seen the punch through. So yep. if you keep the arm low, that's the yep. swim. You're punching through or ripping right underneath, but it's the punch through to where you're not giving up the ribs. Yep, yep. And we, yeah, we didn't know that playing. We was like – or I got taught to swim, but then you got hit in the ribs. And then as I was coaching, they're like, no, who told you to swim? I got taught that because I'm 6'5", so they said you can swim. But when I did that, you got hit in there, and then I learned – no, you punch through, and it's a, you get off that double team. Yeah, you're not giving up all this leverage doing this and getting long and getting that shoulder over top, over top of everything else, and getting out of whack. Especially, it depends on your frame too. You know, if you're short and stubby, this is a lot different than someone who's six five doing this. So yeah, it's it's you're able to you almost actually swim through. You know, when you swim, you're not doing this. You're actually gliding through the water. So um, yeah, you're still. I had to make a complete coaching change when I told kids that. Um, but you know, growing up, I still remember getting to college, and I did this, and you know, the inside my coach was like, "No, no, no!" And he like punched me in the ribs, and he's like, "This is exactly why you can't do that. Do you see why you can't do that?" I'm like, eh, "This makes a lot of sense." So I, you know, then never swam. <laughs> so it's like that with everything, though. Yeah, like with linemen, we would duck walk and all that. Where you quickly realize you don't know that's not, or like when they run. The best part is when I. When I came in, I'm teaching them how to properly skip pull on power. To teach an offensive lineman to run and move their arms is very difficult. When they pull, they have their arms like this, and they're trying to duck walk. I'm like, that no more. Like that's, I'm gonna take a shot at wing T coaches. That's the wing T old school stuff. We're not doing that. We we can be athletic. We can do this different footwork, but we have us as coaches have to say like, there's more than one way to do this. We have to adapt and figure out the best way to do it. Don't give up the old school stuff, but you have to adapt and tweak it and. I'm a stealing son of a gun. Like a lot of stuff I just took, but you have to adapt. You have to actually look at your kids and say, are they, can they do this? Do I adapt it? All that stuff. And you learn that as you go along, but like you've been coaching for a while. I've been doing it for 13 years. Like you have to figure that out on your own. Yeah. And you kind of have to measure each concept, each technique and like really sit down and think about it for, for a bit. It's like, okay, is this the actual way that I want to teach this call or concept or technique? And, is there merit to teaching it this way? You know, this is actually how it works out, or is it, am I just doing this in my brain because you know this is just the way that I just the first thought I had about it? So I'm constantly trying to measure up calls and what I think about them, the techniques, and you know how I actually want to coach them and how they play out, things like that. I still remember playing and you know high school offensive line coaches telling kids that they didn't want their knee too far inside of the foot because it was bad for their knees or some you know walking like that. But you know now everyone knows you, know, you want your knees inside your it's like your feet inside your ankles because it generates more power and things like that to leverage. So it, the, the game's weird. <laughs> Constantly, with each individual technique, you can do that with, with everything. And everything's cyclical, especially when it comes to like the, the, the body mechanic stuff and more like football meets science. Like that stuff, I feel like changes every single year. You hear a completely new idea when it comes to a little body mechanic stuff inside of actual football stuff. So it's interesting. But I mean, that's what keeps the game fun and fluid is there's always it's always changing it's not the same game it's a, a different game every week and every year yeah it's always changing we always have to learn and then um 
sometimes we make it too complicated too. We can make it way more complicated than it ever has to be. And you make it complicated for the kids. And if you're an OC, run game coordinator, DC head coach, you make it difficult for your assistants. If they can't figure it out, the kids ain't going to figure it out. Yeah. yeah, that's something that I had. That was probably the hardest lesson for me to learn was like when I got the, the coordinating spot, I was like, cool, I can't wait to do all this X and O stuff. But then I forgot that I have assistant coaches that I had to also teach this game to and they had to understand it. And they were my arms and legs. And I thought I could just run out there and do all this cool, crazy stuff and creepers and all sorts of stuff, just me by myself. But, you know, you learn very quickly. If you don't have a good defensive line coach or you don't have a good DB coach or corners coach, nothing is going to work out how you look at it. So that's something I tell coaches all the time is, like, if you you need to match your scheme a little bit to the staff that you actually have. If I have a defensive line coach that's been teaching kids how to slant for 20 years and he's really good at that, I'm probably going to slant a little bit more than I would like, even though I'm a big gap control, tight, react attack guy. You know, we're probably going to slant a little bit more. I might think about being a slant angle three four because that coach is so good at coaching that. Why would I ask in his 25th year that, hey, we're going to do things completely opposite and then we're not repeat to all these different skills and things like that instead of just trying to marry it. You know, every coach thinks about marrying the, the scheme to the kids, but you also still have to be able to marry your scheme um, to your assistant coaches, especially at the high school level. And dudes aren't full time and you're not full time. You don't get, you can't ask a guy to come in on Saturday for 10 hours to teach him every little tidbit you know you're kind of relying on him to already kind of know and do due diligence outside of it and just come up come on monday and be able to, to coach kids at high level so yeah and it's hard to have meetings all the time especially if they're volunteers that's the other thing people don't think about if you're a paid coach you're expected to be there expected to do this if you got volunteer coaches they may not be at the meetings so like how you have to be able to make it to where they can understand on the fly too that's another thing people I don't think they think about. Now, Zoom has changed everything. You could do it on Zoom now. But back in the day, before COVID, you didn't have Zoom. You didn't do that. So it's hard where you may just be two guys in a meeting as well. That's another difficult thing to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. On a small staff, you know, sometimes our staff meeting, we do meet on Sundays, but sometimes a, lot, a big part of our staff meeting is, you know, during warm-ups and special teams. <laughs> like you get the deepest staff together during warm-ups and special teams, and that gives you 20 minutes to be able to, you know, finally talk and, and be on the field and, and be able to, like, you know, this is how we're teaching this technique, and this is why I want his eyes, and this is why I want his inside and outside hand and things like that. You know, <laughs> you don't necessarily think about that unless you're in that position, but um, whatever you have to do to get your coaches ready, you know, if that's steal time before or after practice or in certain periods of practice, um, because, you know, you only have volunteers. You know, that's just that's what you have to do. That's just part of the job. Yep. Well, Coach, I took a lot of your time. Got through a lot, but I took a lot of your time. But I appreciate no. you doing this. This is awesome. This is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. One day we got to come on because I know you like talking about some pop culture stuff and Star Wars. And, you know, I love all that stuff. I love all that stuff. So we can go on here and talk a little bit of ball and all the rest of the stuff. So, you know, this is a lot of fun. Seriously, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, right when we're done, when I hit end recording, we're going to set up another time because because we watched Loki today. Loki came out today. I had to watch yeah, that. I still, I still have to watch it. I still have to watch oh. it. I'm still getting caught up on Bad Batch. And, you know, I'm the, I, I, my, my roommate's like super, super into Star Wars. So, like, I love all that pop culture yeah. stuff. I'm all the way in it. So, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to be on again and just, you know, talk life and talk talk geeky nerdy stuff because that, that's like the separate side of my life when I'm not doing football stuff. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> it keeps me sane. It keeps me balanced. You would love Loki. I watched it today. That's it's awesome. I'm telling everybody to watch it. Awesome. No, sure. That's what I'm gonna do right after this then. Thank you.
Yeah, for <laughs> sure. All right, Coach, thank you for being on here. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.